When you start talking about the well-known names of the Bible, there is probably no better known name anywhere in the Scriptures than that of Judas. And yet, though Judas is probably one of the most well-known characters of the Bible, he is also at the same time probably one of the most misunderstood men of the Bible. We read about him in Luke chapter 6 and verse 16 where Jesus is calling his 12 apostles. And we read his name there, it says, and Judas Iscariot, who also was the traitor. And you see, the reason that he's one of the most misunderstood men of the Bible is because we have over the years and over the centuries since Judas served as one of the apostles of the Lord. We have judged Judas by one single act of his life. And to be sure, the one single thing we judge Judas by is the worst thing that he ever did. How many of us would like that for ourselves? How many of us would like for people to judge our character on the basis of the one single worst thing that we've ever done? You see, we have fixed our attention on only one picture of Judas. We do not see Judas with his hand outstretched toward the poor, though that was something that happened. The one portrait we have of Judas Iscariot is with his face ugly with the leer of treachery on it. I feel certain that Judas was a surprise to those he was seeking to serve. He was the treasurer for the apostles. He was the treasurer of the group. He was the one they gave the checkbook to. He was the one that dispensed their charities. And there is no doubt that there were people scattered throughout all of Galilee that had been helped by Judas. And I'm confident that there were those that Judas had helped on behalf of the other apostles who remembered him nightly in their prayers of thanksgiving. Now, I want you to think about this. Imagine the shock that Judas was to his fellow disciples. That night, in the upper room, Jesus looked around the table and He said, One of you shall betray Me. We do not read that every eye immediately turned to look at Judas, do we? Big blustering Simon, the one that was so impulsive, didn't say, He's the one! And point him out, did he? The fact is, when Jesus looked around that table and He said, One of you will betray me tonight, not a single eye turned toward Judas. With uncharacteristic humility of Men that usually were arguing about who was the greatest among them. 
with uncharacteristic humility for that group, they all looked to Jesus and said, Lord, is it I? Lord, am I the one? And then when Jesus dismissed Judas that night, he looked at him and he said, whatever you do, do it quickly. And no man in the room had the faintest idea that Judas was going to betray the Lord. His treachery came as a great shock to his intimate friends. And I think it probably surprised Judas more than it did anyone else. You see, we know Judas was not born a traitor. Over the years, there have been those who have abused the Scriptures and tried to say that Judas was a devil from the beginning. To be sure, the Bible says nothing of of the kind. Nobody is a devil from the beginning. Not even the devil himself was a devil from the beginning. Babies are not so much born as they are made. And that's the teaching in Scripture. The wise man would write in Proverbs 22 and verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's also the teaching of science. I've never personally tested this theory, but I have read that you can actually, it's actually been demonstrated that a child can be trained to fear a kitten and pet a snake just as easily as that child can be trained to pet a kitten and fear a snake. Quite honestly, after my encounter with Matt's cat, I'm kind of that way about a snake or a kitten, either one. I'm afraid of both of them. A child is a product of his training. And since Judas became a traitor, we know that Judas was not born a traitor. We also know something else. Judas was a disciple of Jesus Christ. How did Judas come to be a disciple? How did you and I come to be disciples? How does anybody come to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? We come to be disciples of Jesus Christ because we want to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has never in all the centuries put a gun to someone's head and forced them to be a disciple. Jesus stands at the door of our heart and He knocks and He wants us to open the door. But Jesus Christ never crashes the door of our hearts. One day, this young prophet Jesus knocked at the door of Judas. And He invited Judas to become His disciple. And that young prophet named Jesus, the spell that He cast over Judas that day was such that right then and there, Judas accepted the invitation. We know something else about Judas. 
He was an apostle. How'd that happen? How did Judas Iscariot come to be an apostle of Jesus Christ? Well, it wasn't as easily as he became a disciple, simply by his own choosing. He became an apostle by the choice of Jesus himself. Jesus Christ spent a whole night in prayer. Jesus agonized in prayer, and after spending a whole night agonizing in prayer, Jesus chose twelve men to be His most intimate followers. And strangely, among those twelve was this man, Judas Iscariot. Why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus choose this man that was going to be a traitor? We're not going to claim that Jesus chose him because of ignorance. Because we can be sure that Jesus Christ knew Judas. And he understood him fully. We can also be sure that Jesus did not choose Judas because he needed a rascal among the twelve to work out his plan. That wasn't the reason either. So why? Why did Jesus Christ choose Judas Iscariot? Judas was chosen just like all the other disciples. He was chosen because of what he was. And because of what he was capable of becoming. I've said this many, many times. We like to look at those apostles, those men of the New Testament, and we like to put them on a pedestal, and we like to think of them as being in some sort of super saint category. Much better men than you and I are ever capable of being. But they weren't. Not one of those twelve men that Jesus chose was perfect. Simon was a fluctuating, blustering, blundering man capable of telling the most brazen and cowardly lies. The New Testament testifies to that. If you had known Simon, when Jesus met Simon, He said, Thou art Simon. I'm going to call you, you'll be called Peter. If we had known Simon, when, we, when Jesus says, you'll be a rock of Christ-like character one day, we would have probably laughed out loud. <laughs> Simon? Yeah, sure he will. Think about John. What's John's nickname today? What do we call John? We call him the Apostle of Love, don't we? John was known as a son of thunder. John wanted to rain fire down from heaven and destroy a Samaritan village with its babies and its innocent children because that village had refused a night's lodging for Jesus and for the other apostles. These men were not perfect men that Jesus chose. They had flaws, just like you and I have flaws. They had warts, just like you and I had warts. But yet Judas collapsed. How did it happen? 
How did Judas come to this amazing collapse and betray Jesus? I think as you read the New Testament and you look at the context and the history of it, I think Judas was disappointed with his advancement within the group. Judas was the only one of the twelve who was not a Galilean. He belonged to a more cultured group than the Galileans. He was from Judea. He was one of the culturally elite of that day and time. In our day, he would have been from Boston. He would have been educated at Harvard. He would have been one of those kind of folks. He would have been a man who felt far superior to those roughnecks and rubes, the rednecks, if you will, from Galilee. He was a cut or two above them. And yet, when Jesus chose an inner circle, when He chose a small group to be His most intimate friends, it was those uncultured, rough fishermen It was Peter and James and John. Judas wasn't a part of that inner circle. I also think that it did not take Judas long to discover something about Jesus. Jesus was not as astute as a politician as Judas was. Remember there was a time when The people were so enthusiastic, they wanted to take Jesus by force and make Him a king. Judas was all for that. But instead of consenting, Jesus went and hid. Judas raged inwardly at that. He would have said something like, how can I successfully support a man who runs away from preferment? Judas was disappointed. He was disappointed in the lack of political shrewdness that Jesus had. And then I think something else happened with Judas. There came a day, remember Judas had the checkbook. And there came a day that Judas' personal account was probably overdrawn. And Judas needed some ready cash. So being the treasurer, Judas made himself alone. That's been done countless thousands of times before that and since then. And I can almost hear Judas saying within himself, I'll pay it back just as soon as I get some funds. But the problem was things didn't get more promising for Judas. They became less promising. So finally, Judas decided that he would just change the name of that loan he took and call it a salary. He felt like, after all, I'm doing all the work. I might as well get some remuneration for it. So he changed the ugly name of stealing into a more pleasant name of salary. And then in the meantime of all of this, None of the other apostles had any clue and knew anything about the rascality of Judas. 
Ah. But someone knew. Jesus knew. And Jesus did not have to tell Judas. Because Judas knew that he knew. The pain. The heartache. The disappointment. That would look out of the kindly eyes of his once dear friend. Told Judas that his ugly secret was known. And guess what? At times that fact angered him. It shamed him. And it all but broke his heart. There were even times, no doubt, that Judas was half persuaded to fall at the Master's feet and tell the whole ugly story. But he put it off. And then the horrified faces of his fellow apostles would come across his vision when he when they found that would find out about it and that would make him hesitate. And so he wouldn't tell Jesus. He waited. And he waited with the result that his confession was never made. But with this hanging over him, it was quite natural that Judas increasingly found it that he no longer enjoyed the presence of Jesus. Rather than enjoying the presence of Jesus, he was somewhat embarrassed and made uncomfortable by the presence of Jesus. So by skillful rationalization, we're good at that, aren't we? Yes, we are. By skillful rationalization... Judas convinced himself it wasn't his fault, it was Jesus' fault that he was uncomfortable. This promising prophet had let him down and had done him a deadly wrong. And so Judas had a right to hate him. Okay, honest confession. Don't we all hate those that do us dirt at times? Yes. But, if we hate the one who has done us wrong, there's another that we hate even more. And that's the person that we wrong. Unless we're willing to apologize and make that wrong right. And the reason for that is quite clear. When I wrong you, every fine thing inside of me tells me I should ask you to forgive me. I should ask for your pardon. But if I wrong you, and I'm too bitter, or I'm too stubborn to ask for your pardon and forgiveness, I've got to give myself a reason. I've got to convince myself that the fault all lies with you. And I do that by looking for the worst in you instead of looking for the best in you. So what did Judas do? Judas began to look for the worst in Jesus. And his love 
was changed to hate. And now that Jesus had become his enemy, Judas decided he would do something about it. He knew that his one-time master was a wanted man. So he offered his services as an informer. The mob calls that being a stoolie. And his offer was accepted. Why? Why were the enemies of Jesus so eager to have the services of Judas? It wasn't because they couldn't have found Jesus without him. Judas wasn't an essential part of the tragedy at all. I'm quite certain there were hundreds of people in Jerusalem that could have pointed out Jesus to them. But I think they wanted Judas for one reason. Those Jewish leaders knew they would be called in question for their conduct. Judas would enable them to say, well, it was one of his own friends that betrayed him. But we still have the question, why? Why did Judas consent to betray Jesus? I don't think it was for the paltry 30 pieces of silver. Though Judas loved money, that wasn't a significant enough amount. I think Judas consented to betray Jesus because his love and friendship had been turned to enmity and hatred. Love had become hate. And when he kissed his master on the cheek, it was an act of contempt, an act of revenge. It was not an act of love. But then when it happened, when he betrayed Jesus that night with a kiss, when the soldiers arrested Jesus, what effect did it have? What did Judas do when that happened? How did he feel about it? It broke his heart. The very first thing Judas did was hurry to the priests. You see, they had been the teachers of his childhood. So Judas goes to them for consolation. Sobbing, he told them, I've sinned. I've betrayed innocent blood. And they said, see to it yourself. It's not our problem. And so from that heartless rebuff, Judas went out to his doom. The Bible tells us that he hanged himself. It says he went to his own place. Wherever a traitor would fit in, that's where you'll find Judas. Why? Why did Judas blunder out into the dark? After such a sin as he is, I suppose we would say there was no other place for him. But it was not. Are you listening? It was not the treachery of Judas that wrecked him. No man or woman on the top side of God's green earth today is ever lost because of what they do. 
every man or woman who suffers final defeat suffers that final defeat because of what they have failed to do. Judas Iscariot had been with Jesus for almost three years. He had walked up and down the dusty roads of Palestine with Jesus. He had watched Him heal the sick and raise the dead and make the blind to see and the lame to walk. He knew Jesus and He knew Him intimately. Yet in the most desperate hour of His life, He seems to have trusted a hangman's noose more than he trusted Jesus who came to seek and save the lost. Judas went out into the dark night because of what he failed to do. If Judas, after his treachery, after he had helped to hang Jesus on the cross, if he'd only come back and given Jesus a chance to forgive him, he would have made all of heaven glad. If Judas had come back and said, Master, I've sinned, please forgive me. His name today would be among the most beautiful names in the gospel story. We're surprised that Judas would betray his Lord. It's shocking that one of his twelve apostles would actually betray him. But the fact that Judas betrayed Jesus, beloved, is not the great tragedy of Judas. The great tragedy of Judas is that having known Jesus Christ, he did not come back and give his wounded friend, the Lord of glory, the Son of God, a chance to forgive him. That's the tragedy of Judas. And so Judas becomes guilty of the unpardonable sin. The sin that dooms. And what is that? What is that unpardonable sin? It is the refusal to accept the pardon of Jesus Christ. A refusal to accept the pardon and forgiveness of Jesus Christ will be as fatal for me or for you as it was for Judas. But what we have is we have the opportunity to go right where Judas went wrong. We have the opportunity to go right, to come to Jesus, to make Him Lord and Master of our lives. And if you've never done that, don't fail where Judas failed. Accept that pardon. Jesus is not going to break the door down, but He's knocking. And He's asking for entrance. It's your opportunity to do that as together we stand and what we sing.